Welcome to Education, Technology, Society, a podcast about education in the digital age. Welcome to Education, Technology, Society, a podcast about education in the digital age. Hello and welcome to another episode of Education, Technology, Society. This is a podcast that thinks about all things to do with education, technology, digital education, but with a critical slant. My name is Neil Selwyn from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, and today I'm talking with Claire Murray from the University of South Australia, and we're talking about the edtech industry discourses around what seemed to be the inevitable digital disruption of higher education. Now, this is familiar stuff for any listeners who work in universities, the idea of, you know, the digital efficiencies of online learning, speeding up of nano degrees and micro-credential, and a general shaking up of the sector through digital efficiencies. Now, Claire's been working as part of the Universities and Unicorn project, particularly working with Sam Seller, also from the University of South Australia, and part of the project that looks at the discourses of edtech companies and their investors, and contrasts this with case studies of what universities and students and families are actually doing on the ground. Now, the key point arising from this research is the ways in which edtech firms tend to see the digital disruption of higher education primarily in terms of economic value. In contrast, students and their families have differential investments in making the decision to go to university and also different value that they want to realise from these investments. And one key aspect of Claire's paper that we talk about today is the investment of time and the investment in studying with other people that underpins a lot of people's engagement of the university study and the different social and cultural capitals that accrue. Now, these are all things that don't click with the promise of digital efficiency, digital scalability. So Claire and colleagues give us a really interesting alternate view on what we're often told about higher education digital technology. So do check out the full Universities and Unicorn project and all the other project outputs, which is leading to a really interesting range of work around this topic. In the meantime, have a listen to Claire explain all of this in much more detail. Enjoy. And I guess the first thing I'm interested in ESRC funded project. Yes. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff looking at how ed tech investors and companies are looking to disrupt higher education. First off, what is the project trying to do? What's your research design? There's three main purposes. So we're trying to introduce fundamentally new ways to think about and examine digitalizing of the higher ed sector trying to investigate new forms of value creation and suggest that the value in the sector increasingly lies in the creation of digital assets. And the third thing is we are examining whether and how universities, companies and investors shift from forms of that sort of entrepreneurship to forms of rentiership. So those are the three kind of main purposes. That are just as a broader, the key contribution to the actual broader project is to introduce the theory of assetization mm. uh, to the study of digitalization in education. So this perspective focuses on the asset form and generating value from assets through that rentiership. So that is replacing the commodity in contemporary capitalism. So if we look at subscribing to Spotify rather than purchasing the record or the CV. So, I mean, methodologically-wise, I mean, how are you getting the data? Uh, so we have, first of all, we started by mapping financial flows in edtech. Um, and we have done a lot of interviews uh, we looked at qualitative study case studies of universities, so that's kind of where I came in, mm. starting to look at what universities are using, which things, how they're using it, how that has an impact on. So it's all of those sorts of things is 
although the edtech is looking to disrupt, it then has a lot of sort of flow on effects. Because I've, I've done work around this area trying to find out what technologies in schools and it sounds like a really simple question. It's really true. Often universities don't know what technologies in the university. How are you actually physically mapping what tech is in the universities? Are you just going along with them and saying, what tech have you got? Because, I mean, that's often a question yeah, so they we, can't answer. Well, no, I think that's, <laughs> that's what, where Sam uh, Sal has been coming in as he's been doing a lot of interviews and sort of looking at, okay, what are they using? What are their policies? What are their sort of five-year plans? And then from there, I've also been looking at all of the stuff that's publicly available, um, and then we've kind of put that together into a case study. So, I mean, that's the kind of methods. I'm really interested in theory as well. And there's kind of two elements which really struck me about the project. You're kind of using Bourdieu, but you're also using Foucault. So, I mean, how are you using these conceptual approaches to make sense of this? Yeah, so our paper's a side experiment. So it kind of arose from the thinking about the value of education and the way that the value is presented by EdTech and other companies. So Sam's field kind of expertise is in Bourdieu so looking at forms of capital the social cultural and economic and then I've come in and introduced field theory as well into the paper so what we are saying essentially is that the edtech values economic capital and is attempting to disrupt the sector by shifting discursive positions towards having people be looking at efficiency rather than the value of time and the longevity that we mm. usually put in. So we're saying the disruption hasn't occurred because people still value that social cultural capital that comes from the traditional university degree. So that's kind of where the Bourdieu comes in. And then I brought in the, from a Foucauldian perspective, we're drawing on his work from the discourse language and then power resistance. So Foucault talks a lot about where there's power, there's resistance. So we're showing how that is actually happening in real time, I suppose. So you're, you're analysing the discursive work of tech investors and companies, you know, this idea that they can disrupt imaginaries of higher education. Mm-hmm. There's a few questions here I'm just fascinated in. I mean, who exactly are these actors? I mean, who are the unicorns, first off? So... The actors are the investors in the sort of edtech companies. The imaginaries are of higher ed are promoted by edtech and they, we're seeing that they're kind of focusing on two things. So one, the inability of existing institutions and practices to address the greater demand for the ed- education skills and stuff from employers and individuals. And then two, the capacity of digital platforms to provide education in more efficient and effective forms. Those are kind of the two things that they're looking to disrupt. Those, those would be their value propositions. And so this is the idea of efficiency and optimization as well and scalability. But you, you talk about the idea of the uberfication of higher education, mm-hmm. which struck out. I mean, how is university tuition comparable to ride sharing in the, in the imagination? <laughs> so our paper begins from reflecting on why tuition isn't necessarily comparable to ride sharing. So we're looking at kind of Netflix or other classic examples of uberization. Um, we are coming from the place of we're curious about why other sectors have been disrupted um, and why edtech has not seen similar disruptions. So that's kind of the... We're not necessarily comparing the two. It's more, this is happening here, why is it not happening over mm, there? But the flip side to that is what does it say about the big tech mentality that they think you can 
repackage universities like Uber or Netflix. So that's where we're coming in and saying that they are valuing the economic capital rather than completely diminishing, pushing aside the social cultural. So they're saying, well, we're telling people they can do the degree, get the same result in half the time and half the cost. So surely they're going to want to do that because mm. that's, that's an economic decision. These people are not stupid, though. So if they pick up on the fact that, you know, <laughs> you need to pay attention to the social, the social and cultural elements of higher education, presumably they will do that. So I mean, are you seeing signs of them beginning to kind of shift the, shift the imaginary or shift the discourse? I think so. And that's where it was really interesting during the project to be talking to sort of provosts and stuff like that, people in high places in high education uh, at universities is they are starting to see because students are saying well I'm not getting the same experience because I'm just online so now they're starting to look at you know Moodle and stuff like that is changing their platforms and they're starting to say oh well now you can have online classes that are just students so there's no teacher there so they can still chat after the class and they're starting to develop and I think they are rapidly realising that people are still valuing that social time, so they are making uh, adjustments and that sort of thing. But that's more because they're listening to what people want rather than necessarily understanding the theoretical underpinning of why they want that. So that's probably why it hasn't been there from the beginning, and now they're trying to fix an issue. However, we've already formed an opinion on the micro-credentials before they have made them what we need them to be. Yeah, so, it's so too there'll little, be too another. Low. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. So I mean, a key part of this this kind of promise of, of platforms and, and ed tech in higher education is datification. So I mean, what what are you finding out that's significant about data and datification? So the ed tech is they're attempting to sort of mobilise the data capital, so they are generating more of a market share. Um, so we're looking at that from a sense of the Foucauldian power and I'm hesitant to say that uh, they own more because you know Foucault says that power isn't owned it's just it's exercised so the way that they're controlling and acquiring the data so essentially these edtech companies are saying oh here's this new you know here's a new platform x and you can have it for this amount of money but we own the data and we have all of this stuff so and then they can you know, use that for profit and that sort of thing. So they're using that to sort of exercise power over the higher education institutions. Which is really interesting because you've got these kind of tech logics coming to bear on public education. So there's this kind of tech mentality that's being brought to bear on this sector, which is centuries years old. And you can see, you can see the logic from the edtech sector of why you think that it would work. But that is because, as we said, they are valuing the economic efficiency over everything else. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense to think here is a great sector to disrupt. Exactly. It's been doing this since the dawn of time. Uh, Let's get more people educated, which essentially is a nice theory, but in practice hasn't worked and will also create further issues down the track with are we going to have enough jobs if everybody has a bachelor's degree? Then that's just going to create more demand for masters and phds and all of that sort of stuff yeah absolutely this is a fascinating case study of how tech mentality and tech (laughs) narratives perhaps don't work everywhere and we're just pumping i can't say we i'm not ed tech but they're pumping money into places that they don't have the solution for the problems that they're creating necessarily yeah and then that will fall into the ed 
education sector and the, our economy essentially is we're going to have educated people that are unable to find work. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my final question is, what do you anticipate happening in the future? We've kind of touched upon this already. I mean, what, what's your, what's your gut, gut feeling about what's going to happen? Is digital disruption inevitable in the long run? Or are higher education markets so structurally distinctive that they're just not going to get disrupted in the way that uh, the edtech unicorns are promising? Well, for some time, we've seen sort of like post-90s, uh, we've seen parts of the HE field being influenced by economic logics um, compared to academic ones. So the how we've been pushing to focus on employability and having skills and all that sort of stuff. I mean, back in the 80s, you didn't really need to have a university degree necessarily to get no. anywhere um, so there has been some disruption and that is continuing we see strong potential for new credentials to spread within these contexts so as i said if everybody has the uh bachelors then i need a master's to stand out that sort of thing but not to disrupt more elite institutions we don't really see that happening um, we anticipate a split between the lower status institution that may be threatened by digital disruption and then the persistence of value that's established through time. Um, and then, yeah, just that the divide is just going to get stronger. So we will see and have seen some disruption, but the field of higher ed will not be entirely disrupted in the way that other markets have been, we don't think. Well, what's this space. So thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk about the It's fascinating research and I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you so much for having me.